Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we've begun a series, a three-week series, on marriage, sexuality, and the various issues that go along with these things. And to do a series like this is a little unusual for us. We tend to follow what is called the lectionary. The lectionary is a schedule of readings from the Bible that have been assigned to each Sunday in the church calendar. And Pastor Bertram and I are happy to follow the lectionary. The assigned readings make sure that we're not just harping on our own favorite topics, but that you are able to hear the whole counsel of the Word of God. Nevertheless, we have decided to set aside the normal readings for these three weeks so that we could focus on the topics of marriage, sexuality, etc. To begin our look at this area of our life, it is good to begin with how God has created us. God made Adam and Eve in a very special way, as we read about in Genesis. The way that he made Adam was by taking counsel within himself, deliberating within himself about how he should do this. He gathered some earth and he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living being. Eve's creation was also very special. She was not taken from the earth. A portion of Adam's flesh was taken from his side and from that rib God made the woman. None of the other creatures are described as having been created in such a way. Man and woman were created with a strong connection to God. It says that they were made in God's image. There's also a strong connection between man and woman, since the woman was taken from the man. She was not created as an independent being. When God finished making Eve, he presented her to Adam, and Adam was delighted. He broke out into poetry and song, which young men sometimes are known to do. He said, this at last is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The woman is like him and yet not like him. The similarities between him and her and the differences between him and her bring about wonder and admiration. Here we see another important thing about how God created us. We were created to have an attraction. The male for the female and the female for the male. God creates us with attractions and appetites. We have an appetite for food and drink, for example, that are satisfied by eating and drinking, and so also 
A man is meant to be satisfied by being with a woman, and a woman is meant to be satisfied by being with a man. It is difficult and a little uncomfortable to speak about this attraction and appetite. None of us are ashamed to talk about hunger and thirst. It isn't as easy to speak about the desire we feel for another person, and this isn't necessarily bad either. Unlike eating and drinking, what a man and woman do with each other is private, and it's meant to be private. However, we shouldn't be so afraid to talk about these appetites that they become taboos. We should help especially our children. Our children eventually grow into adults, and this desire awakens within them. They should not be shamed for having these God-given appetites. They need help to know that their desire can be directed in such a way that they can also keep their honor. And where their desire should be directed is toward their spouse or their future spouse. Our reading from Genesis speaks of this also. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A man is to leave his father and mother when he is ready to take a wife. The reason why he leaves his father and his mother is because he's going to create a new family together with his wife. And the man clings to his wife instead of clinging to his old family. The man and his wife become one flesh. They're joined together. And from this one flesh union, children are created. Thus you see how God makes a new family. Husband and wife become father and mother. And the new family begins with the marriage. You see here in Genesis how God has made us male and female. He created us. He made us so that we have a desire for one another. He created marriage as the first and the highest of all institutions. Family and society flow from marriage. Marriage is an arrangement that remains here on this earth and it will continue to remain until Christ comes. Then, as Christ teaches, the situation will be different. In the life to come, we will not be married or given in marriage. We will be like the angels, Jesus says. But our focus today is on this life. So, very practically speaking, how should a boy or a girl look at this area of their lives and how should they look toward the future? First of all, every boy should thank God for making him a boy, and every girl should thank God for making her a girl. The way that God has made us is wonderful, and God deserves to be praised. Praising God for making you the boy that you are or the girl that you are is important work 
for you to do as God's creatures. And later on, when boys grow into men and girls grow into women, they should be on the lookout for that person to whom they might be joined together as one flesh in holy matrimony. My advice for boys and girls is that you are never too young to pray to God for a good wife or a good husband. And you parents and grandparents, you who love your children and your grandchildren, you should pray for good and godly spouses for them if you want what is good for them. During the teenage and young adult years, it is important that you guard your heart and mind and soul and body from the powerful temptations to take what God has not yet given to you. If you have not yet been joined through marriage to someone, then you shouldn't pretend that you have been. Wait until God joins you together with that person. A profound promise is asked of those who are being joined together in marriage. You might be familiar with this marriage vow. I take you to be my wedded husband or wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy will and I pledge to you my faithfulness. What this promise means is that you're going to forsake all others and stick with this person no matter what. That's love. Love is not just looking out for yourself. Love is being there for that other person even when it is unpleasant, painful, and no longer to your own advantage. By having made these promises, by having been joined together, a new family is made. And within that family there is to be love and honor and service and sacrifice. And God highly approves of all of this. God loves it when a man loves his woman and when a woman loves her man. God loves it when parents love their children and children honor their father and their mother. A very good and rich life is given within this marriage and family. And finally, we should talk about the end of the marriage. A marriage ends when death parts husband and wife. God is the one who determines the end of the marriage just as God is the one who is supposed to be the one who determines the end of anybody's life. If we take our own life into our own hands and end it, or if we take somebody else's life into our hands and end it, that rightly is called murder. And God doesn't want us to do that. And so also God brings about the end of a marriage by bringing about the death of one or the other spouse. This is what it means when the marriage vow says, till death us do part. When God determines the time, he ends the marriage by bringing about the death of the husband or the wife. 
Now, having described how things should be in this area, I wouldn't be surprised if there were lots of questions. And some of those questions, hopefully, will be addressed in the next two weeks. There's not enough time for me to say much more than I already have, so I'd like to conclude with a word to those who recognize that this area of their life has not been what it should be. You haven't done as you are supposed to do. Remember that Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus died to set things right that have gone wrong. The work that Jesus does as Savior is not different in this area of our life from the work that we hear about him doing in other things. So we hear in the Gospels about how he gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and mobility to the lame. Your affliction might be with your sexuality or with the sexual sins that you've committed or with the sins that have been committed against you. Jesus does not wish that you should be left alone in your sadness and disappointment and regret like the blind man who could not make himself see or the lame man who could not make himself walk you also cannot fix yourself. You might not be able to fix yourself for the future and you certainly can't go back and undo what has been done. You can't make right what has gone wrong. But Jesus can. He's the only one who can. This is the miracle of God's blood and God's death. That sacrifice cleanses and atones. Fully aware of your sins, therefore, Jesus says he forgives you and he teaches you. He brings light and truth and healing in this present life and he will bring perfect healing in the life to come. Understand, therefore, that your real enemy is not Jesus, nor is it God with his law. You might be tempted to believe that God with his law is your enemy because you haven't kept it, but your real enemy is the devil, and he's a liar. He says you don't need those outdated, prudish understandings and laws. You do what you want. Lust after whomever you want. Be the Lord of your own happiness. That's the enemy's message, and it sounds good. There's a reason why he's proven to be so persuasive, and so many follow his advice. It sounds like it should just be the thing that you would like to do, and that you should do it. But those who follow this liar's advice soon find that on the other side of pleasure, or the thrill, or the supposed freedom, misery awaits. You can't fight against the way that God has created us to be and expect that there should be no consequences. God's message admittedly is very different from the liar's message. 
God doesn't say that you should do whatever you want to make you happy. He requires some very high and difficult things. He says that we need to love. He says that self-control is good. Being sexually pure and decent is good. Loving and respecting your wife or your husband is good. Being faithful unto death is good. These things are good whether you have actually done these things or not. And who of us is without sin in this area of our life? Nevertheless, what God requires is good. And I think you know that. If only we would be the way that God would have us be in this area of life, then things would be good for us. It's because we haven't been obedient that we have the troubles that we do. So, we've messed up. Jesus is the Savior of people who need help. Isn't that the thing that the Bible so clearly teaches? Jesus is the, one of the Savior of the one who needs help. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. Repent, believe in Him, and be saved. Please stand. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.